Welcome to Bike Talk, streaming at KPFK Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, Massachusetts, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Nick Richard. Today we have President of Friends of Northampton Trails in the studio for the first time. Hi, George. My name is George Kohout, and I'm glad to be here this morning. And then we got Robin. Robin has a, a show that's about to come on Valley Free Radio soon. And you're also a cyclist. If you would stay for a minute, because you had something to say about Northampton and finding the bike trails. I did, yeah. I just moved here from upstate New York and have just immediately fallen in love with the bike trails and have been really enjoying just going out and seeing how far I can go on them before flipping around and finding my way back home. It's a great network that extends from East Hampton through Northampton all the way through Hadley and Amherst at this point. Within five years, we hope to have created a full off-road bicycle multi-use trail from Northampton to Boston, all 106 miles, I believe. We'll also, within five to seven years, be able to ride from Northampton to New Haven on the newly named um, Northampton to New Haven Canal Greenway. And that's about 96 miles, I think. So Robin, you're in for a lot of riding, buddy. Fantastic. I've been loving every second of it so far. George, you had a question. Yeah, Nick, after you invited me to be on the show, I was wondering, well, what the heck is the tenor of this show? Is uh, Nick into bike radicalism, controversy, or is it more just the presentation on uh, the the state of biking here in Western Mass? Um, I know, Nick, you're from Los Angeles, where uh, it's it's a different urban scene. I think there's some commonalities around the need for more bicyclists on the streets, the need for us to promote biking, get people out of cars so that we can help to impact to meet some of our our climate goals, our our carbon-free goals. Um, That's a big common thing between the two biking communities. I'd love to play an interview from Los Angeles with uh, Scott Epstein. He's a candidate for the Council District 5. And he is an active transportation advocate. Some of the issues are bound to be the same. And I thought we could just play a little, stop, and talk about it. Sounds good. Good afternoon. This is Bike Talk, and I'm Taylor Nichols in Los Angeles. We are affiliated with KPFK out of Los Angeles. Today, we have a special guest, Scott Epstein, who is running for Council District 5 in Los Angeles. Scott, welcome to Bike Talk. It's wonderful to be back at Bike Talk. Thanks for having me. I do want to say, full disclosure, that you and I are friends. We go way back. We both served on the Mid-City West Community Council, which you were the chair, and I was a co-chair of the Transportation Committee for a long time. What got you into the Neighborhood Council first? And then I want you, if you can segue into that, why are you running for CD5 council position? Yeah, absolutely. So I first ran for the Neighborhood Council back in 2012. And I just kind of wanted to get involved in local issues in L.A. At the time, I had this sense that L.A. was on the move, that things were changing, that the 2010 bike plan had been passed. Right. We had this very expansive plan for new transit across the region. And there was much more conversation happening around our homeless crisis and other issues. And I kind of wanted to be a part of that civic awakening. And that's why I ran. And things very quickly snowballed for me. Within a year and a half, I was the chair of the council. 
We won a Metro grant for the streets, which was an amazing accomplishment. And I got to work organizing, bringing new people on board, particularly folks that shared my values around mobility and transportation and housing and homelessness and how we move forward in a progressive direction in Los Angeles. And I think, Taylor, you were the first person I recruited to that kind of wave that crashed over the Mid-City West region as we kind of created this new little hub of progressive civic action. One of the best things I think that we did on the board was the bikeway through the neighborhood. I wonder if you could talk about that, about getting the money for that and where that project is now. You know, a lot of people who listen to Bike Talk aren't just in Los Angeles. They're on the East Coast and Massachusetts. And I think a lot of the roadblocks that we deal with here, they deal with wherever they are listening. And I wonder if you could talk briefly about the neighborhood greenway that was developed, where you got the grant and where it stands now. Yeah. So the Greenway Project was sort of the first thing I worked on in Mid-City West. I, I had studied the bike plan and realized that there was a huge opportunity. Nothing had been done on this neighborhood network of bicycle-friendly streets or neighborhood greenways or bicycle boulevards, whatever you want to call them. And so I kind of came up with a plan, which we got through the Neighborhood Council and passed as a vision statement. And that got on the radar of the city, of the city planners. And they ended up applying for this grant from Metro Los Angeles. And we got it. $2.3 million. I can see the project in 2012. Right. City West passed the project in 2013. It was funded in 2015. Some stuff is in the ground, but it probably won't be fully implemented for another three years or so. I mean, these projects take a long, long time, but it's exciting. I mean, we have gotten some things done. I have a bunch of new stop signs. We have this bicycle-friendly traffic signal, they're calling it, that diverts traffic onto the arterial rather than continuing on the neighborhood greenway. It's a first of its kind in Los Angeles. One of the things I think people might be interested in hearing is we did a fair amount of outreach when we were working on the Rosewood plan. And we did hikes up and down the street, or I should say walks, really. You know, the topic that the counselor is speaking about. He's a candidate. Oh, okay. He's a candidate. Good. Well, hopefully his uh, platform resonates with folks because he sounds like he has some great ideas. Um, We're fortunate here in Northampton, too, to have a a bunch of progressive counselors on the board, um, on the city council, and also some of the city departments who are pushing much more bike infrastructure. The interesting thing that he talked about is that Greenway, which he started conceiving in 2012. It got to this point in 2014. Some roads started to get implemented, but it's a long process. It's a lot of money, but it takes a lot of work to get that far. Um, We had a project about three summers ago as part of the Main Street redesign project, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately it was It wasn't promoted in a way that got the input from a lot of people downtown. So even after the small intervention was installed, there was so much pushback that the the mayor decided to kind of take it off the streets, which was a lost opportunity, but a lesson learned, of course. Okay, now I'm going to skip to the next part um, where he talks about pushing for what you want. Part of the reason that things take so long to do for so relatively little is because of the resistance. Right, for sure. 
because of the uh, resistance from a number of different places. Some of it is from businesses who really buy into these old credos of uh, more parking is better for my business and shoppers only come to me in cars and no other fashion do they walk or ride their bike to my businesses. It's hard for us who are on this side of the question because of all that we know about the climate change that we can't all understand that taking cars and and gasoline-powered engines off the street is going to help us in in the long run and the short term. I often have a hard time and scratch my head. Why Why is there so much pushback? Most of it is around economics. Some of it is around the people who commute to work and are afraid of losing a couple of minutes here and there on the streets as they're behind a bicycle. Some of it is about people who would like to ride on city streets with their families, but they're afraid because of the uh, attitudes of drivers or because of distracted driving, which is such a big issue now. So that's some of the pushback, too. You want to hear what Scott has to say about staying focused on your, on your message? Yeah. Okay, here. One of the big uh, issues in the Mid-City West neighborhood, the West Hollywood area, was Uplift Melrose. Would, yeah. you, would you have supported that? Yeah. In fact, I was a champion of it. And it had a, an incredibly broad support base, uh, including residents, business owners, and even religious congregations and schools. For the listeners who are not familiar with this project, it would have transform Melrose Avenue, which is kind of like one of our key pedestrian corridors in the whole city, very famous, um, vibrant area. Um, And it would have transformed it from, you know, a street that is not so pleasant to walk or bike uh, into, you know, almost a European style street. It would have had the first curb level protected bike uh, path uh, in the city, you know, that's the kind of infrastructure you see in places like Amsterdam or Copenhagen, um, as well as, you know, more street trees, street, uh, alfresco dining, right. uh, raised crosswalks, like you, you name it. So it really would have been a model for a greener Los Angeles. And, um, and it's something that I've promised on the campaign trail that I will bring back right. and see and seek funds for, because, that the project would be extremely competitive for a state grant and we could get probably tens of millions of dollars. That's what the city um, uh, planners believed um, from the state to make a, really a tremendous project happen. Right. Again, for people who don't know, the, the, the strip of Melrose that we're talking about is, is, is kind of a young, hip area, uh, you know, with a lot of uh, uh, small shops, you know, selling, you know, tattoos and, and you know, coffee and you know, things like that. And I live right near it. And as a very confident cyclist, I never ride on it because it's, uh, it's six lanes wide, two lanes, each direction and a parking lane on each side. And it is, it is completely overrun by, by cars. And the current council council member for CD5, Paul Koretz, um, killed the, killed the plan. This was a huge disappointment in Los Angeles. You know, this was, this was what, what all the enlightened urban planners wanted to see mode sharing in the middle of car centric LA. It it was going to be funded. They had $50 million that was going to happen. Right. But their city council person killed it single-handedly at the last minute because he drove down, he said the Melrose and from his perspective, (laughs) he, it it would have been inconvenient. I feel like Melrose in LA is kind of like main street in Northampton. Yep, I think it's a great comparison. Um, just uh, in the past year, 
the Department of Transportation basically offered the city a large sum of money, let's say 14 to $15 million, in order to redo their main street. The, the big purpose is that uh, this would allow the city to open up the street and repair a lot of the infrastructure, the water, the sewage, transmission line, things of that nature. But having the street open like that, the DOT is also, and this is a federal message, which is great, wants to create safe streets, safer streets for communities, which means wider sidewalks, narrower speed lanes, um, less street side parking, more bikeways. So the city, to its credit, you know, opened up a large discussion with the community. The business community weighed in pretty forcefully that they, uh, most of the business, again, I don't want to stereotype the whole business community, a good portion of the business community was fearful of losing their parking spaces and the people would now avoid Main Street. A very committed group of uh, activists, both from the climate side, tree champions and bicyclists and pedestrian advocates, came together in a group called Main Street for Everyone to push back on some of the initial designs and say, no, 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 we need, we need more wider sidewalks, more tree plantings, we need two bicycle lanes, and we can live with just one um, travel lane, more or less, uh, going in either direction with a, a middle lane for turnoffs and truck deliveries. And that plan seems to be accepted pretty much by the city council and the mayor. And the DOT now is in about a 30% design stage looking at those plans. Um, but they also wholeheartedly supported it. As I said, it's a real kind of a federal and a state initiative to move more towards these safer streets. So it's unfortunate for Melrose Avenue, but maybe that councilor could come over here to Northampton Main Street in about three to five years and see what it could look like um, once our Main Street is redesigned. They could come here to Northampton. They could go to several other places. That's the great thing about the Internet. You know, we get to see all these uh, short YouTube videos, these explanations about what small cities and big cities have done with their streets in order to reduce uh, the traffic volume, in order to increase more um, the safety of pedestrians and bicyclists. So, you know, uh, so people with their families can get out on the streets and on the sidewalks and on the trails with their bikes and stay away from their cars. Yeah. We see a lot of examples out there, which are great. Yeah. So any just shout outs to any places besides, um, you know, Boulder, Colorado has done a great job. Uh, you know, we often look to our European counterparts, you know, which is great. I saw a video the other day of a, a bicycle parking garage that was three levels high and it held, I don't know what, you know, 15,000 bicycles. Yeah. Um, so something like that just blows our mind. I mentioned that, uh, we had a, a critical mass or a bike party event the other day, and one of the participants was from uh, Zurich, Switzerland. She came in, she was visiting her family, and she told us that last month at their critical mass ride, they had 10,000 bicyclists. Granted, yeah. <laughs> Europe has a longer history of bicyclists and not the same love of the auto that America does, um, which is great for them. They have much more transportation and all, but we all envision when there's a more bike parking garages in the town than there are mm -hmm. car parking garages. I'd love to play the rest of this clip. Scott talks about what we know and how we shouldn't be ashamed to say it loud and clear. So, I wonder if you could talk briefly about how you discuss these kinds of issues with the naysayers for projects like this. You know, there are, there are always a few voices who don't want change, who are scared of change or, or question it and, and, you know, want to make sure they can drive their car whenever and wherever. And sometimes those voices are, are few but loud, but they need to be 
spoken with in a serious and respectful manner. And I wonder how you might, might go about doing that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that you do is you just, you have a, a transparent and robust engagement process where everybody has a chance to give their feedback. Um, you let everyone have a voice. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important to kind of um, ground these discussions in, in our values, um, you know, and in, and in the facts on the ground about the data, right? what makes a street safe and what makes a street not safe. You know, the, the, the cold hard facts on Melrose Avenue is it's one of the most dangerous streets in the entire city. Um, it's on the city's high injury network, uh, which was data analysis done by the Vision Zero team to, to highlight the corridors where 60% of the injuries happen in the entire, injuries and deaths happen in the entire city. Um, there's been at least three deaths in the last five years on Melrose yeah. Avenue, including a young musician who was just strolling on the boulevard and a car was going so fast that the person must have lost control and went, you know, right, right into the sidewalk. Um, so it's an extremely dangerous street. Um, and, and, and road redesigns like the one that was imagined for Uplift Melrose are proven all around the world to dramatically reduce these, the, the incidents of collisions and, and serious injuries and deaths. As, as well um, as raise, you know, rents and, and, and tax base and, and things yeah. like that. It, 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 it brings, brings the community back. Like some issues are complicated and some are not. Right. <laughs> but like some policy areas, we really don't know what works or it's much nuanced. And some policy areas we do know. Like this is an area, you know, around safe street design, design that we have robust uh, evidence um, that uh, that you can make dramatic increases in public health. Right. I mean, like I studied public education for the better part of a decade at the Rand Corporation in UCLA. And when we were doing studies, you know, you would be excited to see, you know, from an educational intervention, you know, like maybe uh, that you, that it would impact uh a 5% gain on, on test scores or something like that, like right. really very much on the margin, you know, with these safe streets designs, you're saying like, we could save like three lives, you know, like a life a year. I mean, it's right. just like incredibly, incredibly powerful um, uh, interventions that make that, that, that produce social gains. So, um, so why, why aren't more sitting city council members fighting for these kinds of changes? Politics, politics and perception and lack of courage. Um, you know, I think there's there's still a lot of uh, resistance among certain folks uh, to the to the notion that my car, my vehicle lanes are being taken away from me. It's going to have an impact on traffic. You know, you can understand it to a certain extent. We've we've all sat in traffic, and it you know, and it takes time away from our families um, and and that's frustrating and to, to feel and I, I get that some folks feel like these road redesigns could exacerbate that problem um, 
Well, how do you answer that, that it, that it won't? I mean, because that's a that's a common a, a common fear that if you take away a, a, a car lane, that's just going to make traffic worse. Well, so. In a few ways, I mean, I think one one thing is it's not always the case that it makes traffic worse. So mm-hmm. that's important to recognize. Um, it's it's and, you know, because some of these projects actually have negligible impact on uh, the number of cars that can get through a space at any time. But I think it's also important to kind of expand the conversation about the outcomes that we care about. We, right. We've been talking on this in this interview for a while about traffic violence, but there's other things too, uh, clean air, um, carbon emissions. Um, the tra- transportation sector is the largest emitting sector for carbon in the state of California. So if we care about climate change, um, the number one thing we have to do is replace many vehicle trips with trips um, on transit or on foot or on bike. Right. Or scooters or whatever the mode. Yeah. Any, you know, alternatives, alternatives to 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 automobiles. Um, And uh, that's an imperative. Um, And so maybe there might be some short-term um, consequences that might inconvenience some drivers. Um, but if you look at all of the benefits, um, it far outweighs. Um, and by the way, this is really important to note, on the safety end, these redesigns make the streets safer for everyone. Everybody, drivers. Including included. people in, in cars. Right, right. So, I, and, and we have to repeat things like that over and over and over again, you know, and political leaders have to, when they, when after an engagement process, they make a decision to move forward with the project, they need to state the reasons why clearly and be proud of moving forward with a project that will, that will improve public safety and welfare. Right. All right, I think he got my vote. Would you would would you vote for Scott Epstein and CD Five? I sure would. I sure would. I think he's got uh, some good uh, points there. You know, one that I'd really like to talk to is this idea that uh, change really happens when we look at data, and if we can support um, our changes with data, then it, it's you know things can be a little bit more implemented efficiently. Uh, an instance here in Northampton in the past six ten years, we've. Uh, implemented three roundabouts in major intersections. And when the Mm -hmm. first roundabout came in, people said, oh my God, how are we going to handle that? It's going to slow everything down. And it was a very bad four-way red light thing. But data showed that in in time that any traffic accidents happen, happen at a much smaller mile per hour kind of collision. So there aren't injuries involved. It's like at two cars traveling at 50 miles an hour rather than someone blowing through a red light. They've also showed that there's a, a decrease in the carbon um, footprint because cars aren't idling at the roundabouts. Everybody is moving around well. So it took about a year of this roundabout up by Look Park um, before basically 98% of the people have agreed that it's okay. The city implemented another one down on Pleasant Street. The state implemented a very large one at the foot of the Coolidge Bridge. And sure, it takes a while to get over that change in uh, driving habits and pedestrian habits, but um, I think everybody now has seen that the data was correct and it's improved the collision rates and the, the traffic pass-through rates and all. There's this weird inconsistency 
among people who are otherwise progressive when it comes to transportation issues. Like people who are progressives will lose their mind about a roundabout. Yeah, that's that's really I, I I totally get that, and I'm not sure why, other than it's just so um, innovative and so outside of their framework, their script, so to speak. They just can't deal with it. Um, I also think we often suffer from the tyranny of the minority. Also, um, there are a lot of mm. vocal people who are against this or that, but their vocal cries overwhelm kind of the silent majority who kind of talk amongst their friends or at home around the dinner table and they agree with such and such a proposal, but they don't come out to public hearings or they don't write letters to the editor, but the vocal folks do. So yeah. that's something that we're always trying to get um, the the regular Joe on the street to speak up about things that he or she cares about. Well, because everybody I talk to wants a speed bump on their street. <laughs> they just don't want it on somebody else's street. That's right. That's right. You know, Nick, I also have the pleasure of uh, serving on Northampton's planning board um, for the past oh, eight to ten years. And so I see a lot of uh, neighborhoods that come to the planning board because of development. And, uh, and it's exactly that. Traffic is the number one concern. And it's so ironic that when we do a traffic study of a street and we really drill down to who's coming through, cutting through, it's the, the neighbors who with, live within a quarter of a mile who are really speeding on neighborhood streets. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. People are willing to go a safe speed within a certain number of miles from their house. Yep. And then they expect to be able to go faster. Right. It's just how far from their community they are. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So nobody's going to see them. Probably the same as littering. I don't, I don't know that for hmm. sure. But the other point that Scott made is that a lot of people react if you're eliminating two lanes of traffic down to one. Well, of course there's going to be traffic jams. Well, I, ironically, the, the consultants, the traffic engineers that were hired to study uh, Main Street in Northampton and eliminating traffic lanes, They've, they've been able to model these new traffic signals and timing, and the technology of tra traffic signalization has so vastly improved over the past decade that we can do much more efficient movement of cars from one end of the city to another just with the, the correct kind mm -hmm. of signalization. Mm -hmm. So, yes, um, reducing traffic lanes doesn't have a huge impact on vehicle traffic. You know, it is so interesting to balance Los Angeles with Northampton because they're so different. But then again, Los Angeles is a collection of neighborhoods. Yep. It's a collection of different neighborhoods. And, you know, we all want those small businesses in our neighborhoods to survive. Um, we're fortunate in Northampton that there's a new group of younger entrepreneurs moving into town, opening restaurants, opening up shops, tattoo parlors, um, whatever it might be. And they are totally in favor of doing anything to increase the pedestrian activity and bike activity within Main Street and the surrounding areas. They know that Northampton, like Melrose Avenue, is a destination for people. They're not just driving by to pick up their clothes at the cleaners. They're driving by to go to park their car, to walk and have coffee, to meet some friends, to have lunch, to buy a couple of things. Um, and you can't do that if our center of the city is all devoted to cars. I'd like to play another segment of Scott's interview where he actually connects transportation with housing, social justice, transportation, and land use. There's a big push here in Northampton and other cities for what we call infill. You know, if we're going to have new residences, let's try to build them within the, the, the city proper, the uh, center of the city. 
so that we're not um, forcing people to get in their cars all the time to get a bottle of milk or to go out to eat. Let's see. My three priorities are ending homelessness in a compassionate way, comprehensively addressing our affordability crisis in Los Angeles around housing, and taking local action on climate change. And then how does transportation and housing connect? Where do those two problems meet? I really see them as two sides of a coin. What do we do with our public space and what do we do with our private space? And we need to be thinking about them in concert. First of all, one thing to note is that when we're concerned about affordability and social mobility and poverty, these two items are the top budget items that people pay for. Housing is the number one cost to families and transportation is number two. And so if we can bring down the cost of housing and if we can allow people to live car-free, car-light, those are incredible engines for social mobility and poverty reduction. Right. So that's one way that these two are linked. And then we also need to be planning smartly around how transportation and housing align. CD5 is a very central district with incredibly important job centers like UCLA and Cedar sinai We don't have much housing and particularly not housing that is affordable to the nurse that works at Cedar sinai right. to the kindergarten teacher at Carthay Elementary who will teach my daughter in the fall, to the line cook that's preparing your meal in Westwood Village. And so we need to build a lot more housing near those job centers and near transit. And that's a social justice issue. And it's also a climate issue because that kind of smart planning and to redesign our built environment is one of the keys to solving the climate crisis. Yeah, it seems to me that we're finally waking up and starting to have some 21st century housing, multi-use buildings where the ground floor is retail and then possibly offices and then housing above that or something. But we're still doing our streetscape with 20th century planning. Yeah, great ending there. You know, we are here in Northampton also fortunate to have some pretty progressive zoning policies and a progressive planning department. So we've uh, for quite a while had the zoning that allows for commercial on the first floor residential above in order to get people to live downtown because we know that mixture is what keeps a vibrant downtown. The, uh, the, the piece around transportation, L.A., you know, because of its large size, they have a great efficient bus network. Residents may differ with me on that, but I've used the bus in L.A. Uh, quite a few times, and it's pretty user-friendly. They have a light rail system that I've used. Those two things in and of themselves really help people move around, whereas Northampton, we have a bus network, but it's somewhat limited in terms of where it goes, how frequently it goes. So more work needs to be done on that, more funding for that um, in order to move people around the city. I think most cities and towns are understanding that there's a, a whole group of people who aren't able to afford to live in our historical single-family um, large lot houses. We need to be creative about developing smaller units for young people coming in and allowing them to live there. And they don't come all the time with two cars, two and a half cars that they need to park in a driveway. They have a bicycle, maybe one car. Um, so we don't need to have as much parking um, mm -hmm. as we have had in previous years. Um, the same thing with these large big lot stores or any kind of store that demands so many parking spaces per thousand square feet. I drive around all the time and look at these large empty lots and wonder, oh my gosh, what else could be done with that space other than saving it for cars that aren't coming here? So yeah. um, those are some of the other issues that we need to look at that LA deals with, as does Northampton. 
over here in Western Massachusetts, the density is totally different from Los Angeles. How do you run a bus? You know, uh, <laughs> how do you do public transportation? You have to just subsidize it and make it work anyway. That's right. Just like so many other things that we subsidize, whether it's health or uh, recreational fields, we just need to put more subsidy into bus transportation. And I realize they are making some inroads around electric buses and whatnot, but no, many of us chuckle to ourselves because we see these large city-like buses, capacity of 45 to 50 riders coming up and down our streets with only two riders in it on a regular basis, which is great that they move, but you would think creatively we could deal with some other smaller um, vehicles that would manage that and much easier to kind of uh, subsidize and pay for. Well, other countries have minivan-type yep. vehicles, right? Yep. And on the uh, the social justice side, too, again, we want to, as he said, the line cooks in all of Northampton's restaurants, the uh, to the teacher aides, the firefighters, we want them to live in our town. They want to live in our town because of the good school system, because of the good recreational activities, things like that. So we need to continue to push that envelope and help neighborhoods understand that doing a a smaller development with more units in their neighborhood isn't going to be the end of the world. Certainly, it's not that cape that they're all used to or the Victorian house on their neighborhood, but times change and we need to change because of the impact of climate. It's just not the same game anymore. One thing our organization, the Friends of the Northampton Trails, has done realizing that we need to help many communities in our city to have access to bicycles and the rail trails. We've developed a program where we accept good-use bicycles, and we have some volunteer mechanics that repair those bikes, and then we match them through the school system, through the survival center, and through the public housing projects with uh, young kids, high school kids, and grade school kids who can't afford bikes right now. So it's, you know, again, it's a very small little thing, a small impact, but it is impacting in a positive way, getting people, getting young people to feel more comfortable on bikes so they grow and grow and you see bikes as a viable piece of transportation. Bikes are just everywhere, you know. If they could fix them up, give them to kids, yep. that seems like it should be a government program or something. Almost, almost, right. Speaking of government programs, they talk about Healthy Streets LA, which is a ballot measure that would force the city of LA to implement its own mobility plan every time it repaves a street. The uh, Healthy Streets Initiative, which is on, which is trying to get on the the upcoming ballot, would force politicians to at least say no to the changes that are in the 2035 mobility plan if they are revamping a street or re- repaving a street. Is that something that that you support and? And how would you implement that? I do. And, you know, I think your framing is very apt in terms of, oh, we're building this new mixed use, mixed income housing on our boulevards, but there's still, these boulevards are still, you know, traffic sewers. Um, And it's, it's important to recognize that if we're not doing both things, it's a real social injustice because you look at an air quality map of Los Angeles and every major boulevard is, a, is an incredible hotspot. So if we're saying, oh, we're, we're, we're gonna put all of this new housing on the boulevards and then you don't make them green livable places, that's really damaging to people's public health. Um, so, so we need to be doing both at the same time. And, um, and this Healthy Streets Initiative is a great idea, which basically says, when you're repaving a street, um, you gotta follow, the uh, mobility plan and actually make it a green street. 
which has already been approved by the city council and already been planned out, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, we had a robust engagement process that created this mobility plan, which is really very progressive, Um, includes a rapid busway network and protected bike lane network and a neighborhood greenway network. And it's basically sitting on a shelf. Right. And we're wasting money because the, because the, the city, you know, has to repave these streets and then is doing nothing to make them more accessible to people on foot, transit, walking. And we're losing an opportunity to kind of solve more than one problem at the same time. What do you think? Scott Epstein's my man. I'm yeah. going to get in touch with my son who lives in L.A. and uh, tell him, see if there's some way he can support it. Because anybody who has that kind of vision around mobility and, uh, yeah, L.A. needs all the help it can get out there in terms of, you know, it's so funny. I tell people that I visit uh, L.A. on a regular basis and they say, oh, my God, the traffic. And I say, well, it's pretty easy to do. It's not all that bad, really, if you plan in advance. And if you use the bus system and, you know, you you travel uh, wisely. So it's not a horror show. All right. So let's let Scott talk about his uh, events and then we'll have you talk about yours. Okay. Sounds good. What upcoming events do you have in your in your campaign between now and the 7th? We have a very aggressive ground game. So I'm you know, going to be knocking doors almost every day. Um, we're phone banking at night. So if this vision that Taylor and I have discussed today resonates with you, and I'm sure it will for many local listeners, um, and even non-local listeners, you can get on the phones right? Um, from the comfort of your home. We would love your help um, to bring a real mobility champion into the city council. Great, Scott. And how do they find information about you and your um, campaign? Our website, scottforla.com, is your one-stop shop for donating, volunteering, learning about the, our endorsements, um, and so much more. Great. Um, Scott, thanks for taking the time for, you know, uh, talking to Bike Talk and, you know, from your family and from your work and, and from your campaign, because I know you've, you've been putting, putting a lot into it. I strongly support your visions and your idea of a neighborhood that I've lived in for 20, 25 years and uh, want it to be healthy for, as they say, people from eight to 80. You know, yeah. so that we can all enjoy the the uh, public right of way. Yeah, I love it. Scott, thank thanks you so very much for having me on. That was the interview with Scott Epstein for CD5 in Los Angeles. So now you know what's going on in Los Angeles. What's going on around here, George? This is uh, Bay State Bike Month. Um, it's a national kind of bike month, but we focus here on Massachusetts. There's a calendar out there at baystatebikemonth.org that you can look at. Here locally, we've had... Uh, an art wall up for two weeks down by the skate park where people traveling on the trail can uh, stop to draw pictures, to write comments about what biking means to them, which is always draws a great kind of mixture of, uh, of uh, sentiment, so to speak. We're on a community radio station here. We're also on a community radio station in Los Angeles. We're in a third community radio station in Cambridge, and I'm combining them all into one show here. You know, Galen Mook, who's our Cambridge co-host, or he's also the executive director of the Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition, says all biking is local, <laughs> which is true. In order to cover it, you have to make all of it local in a way. That's great. Yep. And you're the perfect person to do this because you are president of Friends of Northampton Trails here in Northampton, and you have a connection to Los Angeles. Your son lives there. You visit 
And I've got another son who lives in the north end of Boston. So when I visit him, we, we ride around Cambridge, and there are great uh, trails there. Um, and we love the Sundays when they close off the Memorial Drive, and, uh, you know, thousands of people are out there walking and riding their bikes, which is wonderful. You know, Northampton and Florence does that a, a couple of times a year, which is also great. It's a bit more of that tactical urbanism. Um, they close off Main Street for four or five hours on a given Sunday. They close off Florence Main Street for four or five hours and allow vendors to sell their stuff and neighbors to see each other. So every time we do that, we draw more um, proponents of these livable streets. Let's talk about tactical urbanism. Also, the term quick builds is out there now. Exactly. Much different than those large grant-funded government projects that take a lot of time, land-taking and easements and contracts with large firms. So... This is something that's done really short, quick, um, and yet sends a message to folks and creates a different pattern of uh, traffic activity. Um, and I love the idea of the parklets. Um, there's a group out of Smith College, a young professor there who's developed a mobile parklet. Um, he tows it on his trailer, oh. and he'll take over two city parking spaces and set up games like a big chessboard and these portable chairs and and just be out there on the street so the pedestrians can use these parking spaces, which well, how, is wonderful. How much would it be to take a whole block of some real prime real estate for the day? Is it legal? I guess if you put money into the parking meters, it's legal. Okay. Yeah. Well, per parking spot per day, that would be what? Well, like 20 yeah, bucks? 20 bucks, yeah. Yeah. I think you've got a, you're have got onto something <laughs> there, Nick. Those are the kinds of things we need to do that people stop for a minute and they say, whoa, look at this. Why don't we do more of this? Yeah. And I feel for those folks who work downtown, um, and they need to park somewhere. Maybe they live out of town, they need to drive. Um, we don't do a great job of satellite parking spots where you can leave your car out in the city, um, uh, uh, an exterior parking lot, and grab a shuttle to come into town or something. That would be ideal, too, but now we're talking more subsidies for those shuttles. But people find it hard when you're employed at a restaurant or a shop to go out and feed meters or find a parking spot. So there's no doubt that some parking is always going to be needed. But I think we've gone overboard in the past 20 years in providing that for people who have cars. Yeah, the amount of convenience in so many areas, you know, you're going to be an environmentalist and you're not going to make any sacrifices. And I'm talking to myself, too. Self, I'm talking to you. Self, listen up. Oh, yeah, I'm going to save the world by buying a Tesla, and then that's it. Right. My other pet peeve nowadays, just since we're on pet peeves, are these large trucks that people drive everywhere. They're huge, and it's a single occupancy vehicle usually. Um, a great majority of the, the men and some women who buy them never use the truck for an authentic purpose, but they love to drive around, and they need parking close to where they're going because they have a big truck. Don't get me on that one, <laughs> but I am boy, bi-coastal. Um, I love L.A. I love the uh, the vitality out there. Um, you know, he touched on homelessness, which is a major problem in L.A. and every urban city in uh, every urban area in, in uh, our, certainly our country and probably others. Um, we struggle with it here. We get, as a president and other friends in Northampton Trails, I, I'm the sounding board for a lot of complaints, sometimes uh, congratulations, but often complaints about the trail. And one of it is about people who ride their bikes and they have to kind of see tents or encampments alongside the trails. And I try to explain to them this mm -hmm. is a societal problem. These people uh, need, need a place to live. Um, they're not ready to go into shelter, so you're, we're just going to have to live. Kind of like tagging. 
on streets, you know. There's an expression of somebody who wants to do that. Some people think it's art. Some people think it's crazy and should be painted over. But, you know, we have to uh, accommodate so many different lifestyles now in our communities. Mm-hmm. You know, the metro bikes in L.A., here in Northampton and the whole valley, the uh, valley bikes have really filled a great niche. And we're so glad that the city of Northampton really has pioneered it and the company Bay Wagon has done it. It's a wonderful job. Yeah, it, they're awesome. And they're everywhere. And it's a great way to get on the trails. And thank you, George Kohout, from Friends of the Valley Trail, Friends of Northampton Trail. It is a valley that we're in. It is. And thanks for coming on. Great to be here with you and your listeners in three cities. Oh, got yourself a bike. Oh, got yourself a bike. Oh, got yourself a bike.